The Bible is not a truth among other truths. The Bible is not on the level of the Quran. The Bible is not on the level of the Book of Mormon. When those truths collide with this truth, this truth is not adjusted. That truth must be. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Dr. Crawford Lorenz. The Bible, how do you view it? Is it God's Word, or is it to you just a history book offering good advice or interesting stories? It's important to know what God says about the Bible and the warning He gives when we disrespect it. If you're new to our broadcast, our speaker's ministry spans some 50 years. He has served as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and is a respected voice among professional athletes. For 15 years, Crawford led the congregation of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. The messages you hear on Living a Legacy come from his time at Fellowship. Crawford now heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Program called Beyond Our Generation. He continues to travel the world committed to the training of future Christian leaders. Our scriptural text today comes from Psalm 19 and 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible offers the truth by which other so-called truths must be measured. Let's join Crawford for the first part of his message, The Word of God. Here he is on Living a Legacy. I want you to do something for me. I want you to take your Bible, and I just want you to hold it in front of you like this and look at it. This book that you're holding continues to be the number one bestseller by far, year in and year out. The other observation I want you to make about this book that you're holding is that people continue to stake their lives on that book. Thirdly, critics and opponents continue to attack it, discredit it, and discount it. And there are two primary reasons for that. One is because Satan is opposed to truth. The enemy of our souls will do anything possible to deceive us and deprive us and to veer us off from truth. The history of the church has always been the history of the struggle between truth and error. You, that's, that's the summary of church history. Always. The stuff that goes on in churches now and all this is not new stuff. This is from the very beginning. It's always been the battle between truth and error. And another reason why critics discredit it and discount it is because the Bible, at its core, demands change. This is there's no big secret why people are upset with it and why people don't like it, why people rail against it, because if they don't want to change, then you have to attack that which is demanding you to change. What you learn over time with debating with students, speaking on campuses, interacting with them, is that yes, on the surface, there are legitimate intellectual questions, and there are. But more often than not, what I have discovered, the problem with Christianity and the problem with truth is not really an intellectual problem. Often it's disguised as an intellectual problem that has a moral foundation. The real problem is some type of lifestyle issue, a disappointment with God, and not wanting God to tell you what to do. And so often it moves quickly toward, 
well, how can the Bible be true? Well, well, every, every, every time I hear people trying to defend the veracity of the Bible, they use the Bible as a basis for defending the Bible. Isn't that a circular argument? Or, and, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But when you press into it and you press into it, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, there is a moral issue, something that cannot be let go that they don't want. And so the text, the scriptures, truth often is attacked. I got a friend of mine whose father gave him a Bible for uh, graduation, and perhaps you've heard this line, but it's a great line. His dad wrote in the flyleaf of, of his Bible when he graduated from high school these words, this book will keep you away from sin, or sin will keep you away from this book. Ladies and gentlemen, that's more than a slogan. That's more than a slogan. I have found in my life that that is really true. You'll see in a second some of our problems with discipline in reading the scriptures. It's not necessarily a discipline problem as it is a guilt issue because we don't want to read what reminds us of what needs to be changed. The Bible is not uh, just a revered source of truth alongside of other truths. We're living in a culture, and this has influenced even some of our evangelical churches. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I'm going to get an email about this, but I want to make this statement. Be careful of the emergent writers that some of you and some of us are reading. Now, the problem with that is that, you know, it's all over the map. There's some guys that I agree with who are part of the emergent church and part of the emergent conversation that has more to do with style, and I happen to agree with a lot of their stuff. But then there's some of them that are very dangerous, and increasingly it's becoming more dangerous because the people with the biggest voices have errant theology. And in our desire to minister to a postmodern culture, we've adopted the philosophy of the culture as the style of ministry. And with that approach, we've wandered away from transcendent truth. What happens is we end up saying stuff like this, well, don't judge. No, we shouldn't judge in one sense, not falsely. But in the name of being uh, uh, open and transparent and, and warm and, and not wanting to offend and to affirm other people, we come across as if we reduce truth as a series of options that my truth, your truth, their truth, there are all kinds of strains of truth here that we can just all buy into and accept. But that's not where the Bible stands. This is where the Bible collides with our views. The Bible is not a truth among other truths. The Bible is not on the level of the Quran. The Bible is not on the level of the Book of Mormon. The Bible is not on the level of some repackaging of philosophical relativism with a few Bible verses thrown in there, creating a new theology. That's not, that's not the Bible. I'm going to throw a word out here, and I hang in there with me. The Bible is what is called a priori truth. It's a Latin expression. A priori truth it means source of truth. The Bible has the audacity to claim that it is the very oracles and words of God. And it is not on the level of other truths. It is not to be taken as equal to other truths. It is a priori. It is the standard of truth by which all other truth is evaluated. When that truth, 
uh, Quran, Book of Mormon, philosophical relativism, or anything else, when those truths collide with this truth, this truth is not adjusted, that truth must be. And so I want to say to those of us who are seeking to be relevant, and believe me, we need to be, I want you to be very careful that your relevance is approached from the framework of a biblical understanding. A lot of flexibility there. But you need to know what the foundation is all about. And what I'm saying to you is tremendously relevant, and you may not think in these categories, but you face it every day. You need to think when you read articles. You need to think when you read books by very popular authors who are making an impact in a culture. Embrace the impact that they're making, but don't assume that their theological framework is necessarily accurate. Now, today, my task, there's no way that I can list all of the benefits and promises to be experienced, the power of God's Word. But I do want to make, I do want to make two statements. The first statement is this, that the Bible is reliable. I'm not going to exhaust that today. I'm going to do a 40,000-foot high flyby, but I want to encourage you to drill down and get great resources uh, like Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, um, like Josh McDowell's Classic Works, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, other books that just really, really, really drill down. But for our purposes today, I do want to make some statements about the reliability of the Bible. Number two, the second statement I want to make is that the Bible is God's power for living. First of all, the Bible is reliable. Hold your finger in uh, Psalm 19 and flip back over to this remarkable, incredible text in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to the words. I love the English Standard Version translation of this because it is the literal translation of the Greek. Listen to what he says here. All Scripture, now circle, if you're writing your Bible, circle the word all. Not the parts that I like, but all Scripture, and here's the line, here's the line, is breathed out by God. All Scripture, every bit of it, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The text says, because it is God-breathed, our priori, all Scripture, our priori, it is God-breathed, therefore it is profitable. You can teach it. It is profitable for reproof. It is profitable correction for correction, and it is profitable in training in righteousness. Why? Because it's a clear standard. It is God-breathed. It doesn't have human origin. Now, having said that, let me say a word about the authors of the Bible. Those who wrote the Scriptures, it was God's voice through their personality. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Bible was written over a period of uh, latitude, 1,500 years to 1,600 years. Now, this is, this is incredible stuff, you guys. Incredible stuff. By 40 different authors from diverse backgrounds and vocations, most of whom did not know each other, by the way, spanning approximately 1,600 years. 
Let me give you an example. Moses was a political leader. Joshua, a military leader. David, a shepherd. Solomon, a king. Amos, a herdsman. Daniel, a prime minister. Matthew, a tax collector. Luke, a medical doctor. Paul, a rabbi. Peter, a fisherman. Go figure. And here's the point. Although most of these men did not know each other, over 1,600 years, the Bible is a marvelous, unified whole. You got to deal with that. With intellectual honesty, you, you have to deal with that. From Genesis to Revelation, there's a story of redemption that is played out. The likelihood of something like that happen is they don't even, you, you, you can't even figure out the mathematic ratio of something like that happening. And it's like one in multiple trillions. I mean, it just, it just couldn't happen. Now, the authority of the Bible. The Bible is the very Word of God. Now, 3,800 times in the Bible alone, the Bible declares either God said or thus says the Lord. Look, look, in these 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, almost 4,000 times, it's almost as if God says, I really want you to get this. I really, I really need you to know that Moses is not technically saying this, that Paul is not technically saying this, that Peter is not really saying this. You know, John didn't really say this. You know, David didn't really say this. Thus says the Lord. And the reason why this doesn't fly in our culture is that we have an aversion to authority in our culture. We have a huge problem with that. And the reason why we have a huge problem with that is because of the breakdown of the family. Because we have been hurt. And the postmodern generation is a generation that's looking for affirmation. And it recoils from truth claims. It shrinks back from people telling them what to do. Part of that is understandable. Because there's been abuse, there's been people that they've trusted have moved away from them. So we have this terrible tendency to project on God what our experience is. So we want to recreate a God that doesn't have any authority, that won't tell me what to do, that, that won't give me directives. Well, when you go to that extreme, you begin making God in your own image, and then you start editing what God says. This is the relational philosophical construct that's driving some, not all, of the emergent writers. But I gotta tell you, you may not like authority, and I may not like authority, but that doesn't change God's authority. And you cannot, neither can I, recreate truth to mirror what I want. So when he says, thus says the Lord. Well, the authorship authority leads us to affirm some things. And I'm lifting this right out of Wayne Grudem's marvelous systematic theology. It is a wonderful book. Wayne is a friend of mine. Um, Wayne probably is in the top two or three systematic theologians in the world. Incredibly brilliant man, but here's what I love about him. Wayne has the unusual gift 
of taking very difficult theological cerebral stuff and making them warm, clear, and understandable. And I would recommend every serious Bible student to pick up a copy of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I'm lifting this from his uh, section on the Bible. Wayne concludes that there are four key characteristics of scriptures, which then therefore should be our four clear affirmations of God's word. Very simple, very clear. Number one is this. All the words in the scripture are God's words. All of them. All of them. All of the words in the scripture are God's words. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All breathed out. All breathed out. All breathed out by God. Second affirmation is to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Now, there are sections in the Bible that's not clear. There are sections in the Bible that's up for interpretation. I readily agree with that, and I'm not talking about that. There are sections that, uh, you know, it's left up, up to your convictions. But when God speaks clearly, I must believe it and obey it. To not do so has declared to God that I embrace disobedience and disbelief. The third affirmation that Grudem points out, all Scripture is true because all Scripture reflects the character of God. Or put another way, all Scripture is true because God cannot lie. God cannot lie, so then therefore all Scripture is true. Number four, the written scripture is then therefore our final authority. Again, the, the, the principle of I priori. It is not one authority in my life. It's not just one source that I go to. Now, I want you to hear me on this. It's not just one piece of advice that I take. It is a priori. It doesn't mean that I don't go to other people for advice. I do. I, do. I go to other people for wisdom. I do. And I think you ought to. And you should go to other sources. But here's the point. Here's the point. The final authority is God's truth. How I live, the decisions about my future, my relationship with my wife and kids, my relationships with other people, everything in my life. The Bible is the final authority. And I want to tell you something. God's truth does not endorse what we want, but empowers us to do what is right. So in the end, paradoxically, we can experience what we really want. Now, I know that this is some direct tough stuff here, but there's just too much wishy-washy stuff in our churches about the place of truth and where it needs to be. The second statement, quickly, that I want to make is that the Bible uh, is therefore God's power for living. I'm not talking about dead words, a piece of dead wood in between a piece of dead cow. The Bible was not written for us just to worship words. And in a sense, in a sense, this is a fair knock among those of us who are Bible church folks. Um, you've heard me say this here before, there is something called bibliolatry. 
where you can have you can have an intellectual cerebral understanding of truth that just keeps it up here apart from a heart application of it but that's never the reason why the scripture was given I've quoted in the past what the mentor and friend of mine Howard Hendricks has said the Bible was never given to solve or satisfy our curiosity it wasn't even primarily given to solve arguments the Bible was not even primarily given to prove how right we are the Bible was given to renovate, transform, and profoundly change our lives. That is the whole reason for truth. The thus saith the Lord is not some little bully pulpit that a bunch of insecure Christians can hide behind the Bible and beat people up with it. The thus saith the Lord is for me to humbly surrender and submit to a loving God and experience that truth so that my head and my heart tell the truth about what God said. It is God's power, church. Thus we have Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. I want to read this real quickly to make a few observations. David extolling the virtues and the power of the Word of God. You know that's a familiar theme of his. He says, beginning at verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. I want to say a few things here. Verses 7 through 9, David talks about what the Bible does, what it does. you got to notice the verbs here. There's action here. He doesn't just extol the cerebral content of the Scriptures. He doesn't just talk about mastering information. But he connects what the Bible is to what it should do in our lives. Now, he uses uh, four different words to describe the Bible. There's a little bit of difference, but I can't get into the difference today. I don't have time. He says the law in verse 7, the testimony in verse 7, precepts in verse 8, commandment in verse 8. All giving a little bit of different implication to the truth of the Word of God. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, and we'll return next week with the second part of his message, The Word of God. If you missed some of the points from today's broadcast, you can hear it again on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or stream it on your favorite streaming platform. Thanks for taking the time to write to us. Here's an email from Michelle. She says, I wanted to send a quick note to let you know how we sincerely enjoy listening to the Living a Legacy broadcast. Each week, there are so many wonderful takeaways that can be applied to our lives. Fascinating biblical explanations to help expand existing knowledge. Crawford does a great job of teaching the Bible with welcome depth and insight, and we are very appreciative for the quality messages and care that Crawford has taken in nourishing the faith of so many listeners. Great to hear from you, Michelle, and we're glad to know Crawford's teaching is helping to move you along in your walk with Christ. Thank you so much. Now, how about you? 
If you're a regular listener, make your Living a Legacy communication more than one way. Let us know you're there and what you're learning from this weekly broadcast. A quick email is all it takes. Write to legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at moody.edu. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for being part of our study today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.